Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The rest of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 as we continue through the gospel of Luke together. Christmas is kind of a confusing time of year. There are a lot of distractions that take our hearts and our minds away from the true meaning of Christmas. A few years ago, I read about a news correspondent from East Asia, and he traveled a lot, and he talked about how some of the symbols that we use at Christmas time have been imported overseas and caused a lot of confusion. So he went into this large department store in Japan, and this is what he saw as the Christmas display. It was Santa Claus holding the baby Jesus behind a sleigh pulled by the seven dwarfs. Kind of some confusion there, right? What exactly is the message of Christmas? And is Christmas more than just the baby Jesus in a manger? You know, over the past few weeks, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we've seen Jesus undergo three trials. A trial before the Jewish leaders, a trial before Pilate, a trial before Herod. Not just three trials, but three times... Pontius Pilate declares Jesus to be innocent three times. I find no guilt in this man. And then last week we saw the ultimate act of cowardice as Pilate released Barabbas, the violent murderer, instead of Jesus being released. And he sentences Jesus to death on the cross. And so today we come to the cross and we find Jesus crucified between two thieves. And as Jesus is there on the cross, there's many different responses to our Lord. So what I want us to do this morning is see these responses that people had to Jesus and then ask the ultimate question to you this morning, what is your response? How do you respond to Jesus? So if you have your Bibles, either electronically, in print format, on your phone, however you got it, let's look together. Luke chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. For there was an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus has been led to the place that's called the skull. In Latin, that's where we get the word Calvary, the skull. And it's there that he's crucified between two criminals. Now, crucifixion is a heinous act of torture. Just the physical suffering that uh, one undergoes for crucifixion. Uh, You really die by asphyxiation where your body just caves in on itself because you can't breathe and your muscles start to spasm. So there's the physical weight of crucifixion, but let me just remind you, there's the spiritual weight of crucifixion. The fact that Jesus is taking upon the just penalty for our sins in our place on the cross. And there are different responses to this this scene of Jesus dying on the cross. In verse 35, the rulers, they scoffed. That word scoff means they turned up their noses at Jesus. They sneered. Uh, The imagery here is really treating him less than human, almost like treating him as if he's a worm, a worm of a man. They mocked him. A few years ago, Red Bull, I'm not against you if you drink Red Bull, I'm just telling you about the commercial, they got into some trouble a few years back with a commercial that mocked Jesus. So in this cartoon, Jesus and two of his disciples are on a fishing boat. They're sitting inside the fishing boat, and Jesus basically says, you know, nothing's happening today, guys, I'm out of here. And he gets up, and he walks on water, and he leaves. And then Peter says, well, how could Jesus do that? And the other disciple looks at him and says, well, he drank Red Bull, and it gives you wings. And then Jesus looks at the other guy and says, no, you just have to be smart enough to find the rocks to step on. Well, that may be quote-unquote funny, But it kind of is mocking to Jesus. It shows Jesus as kind of this snarky man who didn't really walk on water. So even today, people are sneering, making fun of Jesus. They're mocking him. Not only did the rulers mock him, but notice verse 36. The Roman soldiers offer him sour wine, mocking him. Cheap wine. It's kind of like a joke. Sour wine that nobody would have wanted to drink. They're basically mocking this pathetic scene of this man on the cross because you see in their minds as a Roman soldier, as part of this Roman culture, hanging on the cross was not a good thing. It was a sign of of basically you were a criminal, you were a seditionist, you were an insurrectionist, you you were somebody that was the scum of the earth to hang on a cross. And so they did not understand that. Especially since there was an insignia, the king of the Jews. Is this the way a king dies? Pathetically, almost half naked on a cross with people mocking him? Is this how a king dies? Jesus, the sovereign of the universe, is dying on a cross, and he's innocent. Now, let's look at the two thieves on each side of Jesus. Verse 39, we see the one thief. 
What does it say in verse 39? One of the criminals who hang there railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Railed at him. Now, I don't know what your translations say, but in the original language, it means to blaspheme. In other words, here's what's happening. This criminal is cussing Jesus out. Now, you often hear people using Jesus' name in vain all over the place. This is actually a situation where somebody's using Jesus' name in vain directly to his face. He's cussing Jesus out at his face. He's blaspheming Jesus. He's mocking Jesus. So everyone around Jesus is either mocking him, making fun of him, blaspheming him, cursing him. But yet there's the other thief. And that's where I want to spend our time this morning. The penitent thief on the cross. The thief who truly understood who Jesus was. And this penitent thief on the cross gives us hope this Christmas. J.C. Ryle has said this, and I think it's great wisdom. He says, quote, One thief was saved that no sinner might despair, but only one that no sinner might presume. One thief was saved that so no sinner might despair. I want you to think about something. If you're here this morning and you think that you've done the worst of things, do not despair because the thief shows you that you too can receive the same type of forgiveness. You too can receive forgiveness. I want you to think about this image for a moment. Now, this is a scary image. What if in just a moment we had access to your brain and all of a sudden all the evil deeds you did this past week were projected up on these two screens? Most of you may run for the hills and be like, I'm never coming back here again. Let's take it a step further. Let's say all of your thoughts and desires were projected up on the screen. Most of us would probably hide our heads in shame. You see, we know deep down in our hearts that we are sinful, that we're wicked, that we're rebellious. Not only in what we do, but in what we feel and what we think and what we say. And yet, Jesus can forgive the worst of sinners. The worst thing you've ever done, Jesus can forgive you. And the thief on the cross gives us that hope. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he, that's Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He saves to the uttermost, which means he saves completely. He saves permanently, powerfully to the uttermost. Now, J.C. Rouse said one thief was saved so we might not despair. The other thief was not saved so that we might not presume. So don't presume that you're okay with God just because maybe you come to church or maybe you're a spiritual person or maybe you obey the Ten Commandments or maybe you try really hard. Don't presume upon having that forgiveness just because it's something that you alone have done. The thief on the cross understood Jesus and the power of his love. So what I want us to do this morning before our kids come back is I want us to explore three truths that we discover about this penitent thief that show us the power of Christ and offer us the hope of salvation this Christmas season. And let me ask the question again. We've seen all these responses to Jesus. How will you personally respond to our Lord? This morning. So let's look at these three together. Here's the first. 
He, this is the thief, he understood his sin in light of the holiness of God. He's hanging there. He understands his sin in light of the holiness of God. Notice what he says in verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? Do you not fear God? The thief says. See, the thief understood that God is a righteous judge. God is to be feared. God is holy. God must punish sin. God cannot let sin go unchecked. God can't just brush sin under the carpet and let bygones be bygones. This thief understood, we need to fear God. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He has the right to punish our sins. And notice what he also says. He takes it a step further. In verse 41, he says, we're suffering justly. We're hanging on this cross receiving the due reward for our deeds. We're, we're, we're criminals. We deserve to be here on this cross. I'm not downplaying it. Notice what the thief does. He doesn't minimize his sin. He doesn't cover up his sin. He owns up to his sin. He acknowledges his sin. He confesses his sin. He says, we need to fear this God because he's holy and we're hanging on this cross because we deserve to. Because we are guilty. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm going to confess it. Reminds me of what Psalm 32, 5 says. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The thief says to the other thief, do you not fear God? Do you not realize we're, we're hanging here guilty for our sins before a holy God? A God that has to punish sin? I want you to think about something for a moment. Let's say an intruder broke into your home and violently killed your family. And you're devastated. And it comes time for you to go to the courtroom where that criminal is standing there waiting to be sentenced by the judge. And tears are rolling down your face and everything in you is waiting for that verdict because you want that criminal to be, to be guilty, to go to prison for the rest of his life for the murder that he did to your family. And so the judge has him come up to the bar. And the judge says, okay, here's your sentencing. Don't ever, ever, ever do that again. Pay a $5 fine and have a nice day. Now, what would you do in the bottom of your heart? You would rise up with righteous anger and want that judge to be taken off the bench, and you would be so upset that, that justice was not served. You would get angry that a human judge did not serve justice. But let me ask you a question. Do you get just as angry that a holy judge, Jesus, has the right to punish our sins? And he can't just let us get off free? Here's the problem. Most of us don't think we're that bad. We compare ourselves to the person down the street. We compare ourselves to our coworker. We compare ourselves to everybody else. And compared to everybody else, I'm not that bad. I don't deserve to be punished. And yet, the thief understands that this is a sovereign God, this is a holy God, a God to be feared, and, a, and he understands that he is personally hanging on that cross for his own sins. So he, he owns up to his sin. He confesses that sin. The man feared God. And then he also 
Notice what he says about Jesus. There's something he knows about Jesus. Verse 41, the second half there. This man, talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. We've done a lot of things wrong. We're hanging here because we're criminals, but this man's done nothing wrong. Remember three times Pilate said, he has done nothing wrong. I find him innocent. I find no guilt in him. So somehow this thief understands that Jesus is the innocent, perfect Lamb of God who's suffering there, and he knows that he deserves to be punished for his sin before a holy God who is to be feared. So it's the first thing we see. He understands his own personal sin in front of the holiness of this God. But let's see the second thing about this thief. Second, he humbly repented and believed in Jesus as the only one who could save him. He repented and believed in Jesus. Now, how do you see that? Where do you see that, Pastor Sean? Well, look, look, look at verse 42. Notice what he says in verse 42. Very profound words. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you catch it? Jesus is king. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. In other words, this thief understood Jesus is the king. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is the Lord. And what's so ironic about this whole thing is that this is Jesus' greatest moment of weakness where he's, he's hanging on a cross, dying, and it doesn't look like that's the way a king should die. So in this moment of great weakness where Jesus is dying, barely being able to breathe, this thief looks and says, that is the king. That is the king. And so God sovereignly worked grace in the life of this thief to see beyond just a man hanging on the cross and even beyond just the sign that says King of the Jews to see in Jesus that he is the absolute Savior and Lord. You see, everybody else mocked Jesus. Everybody else thought Jesus was delusional. Everybody else railed and blasphemed and cussed Jesus out. But this man looks at Jesus and instead of blaspheming Jesus, instead of cursing Jesus, what does he say to Jesus? What's, what's, the, what's the words that the thief says? He just says one, two little words. Remember me. Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I find that fascinating because of all the things you could ask Jesus while you're hanging there on the cross, what would you ask? Jesus, I promise to be really good if you get me off this cross. Jesus, if you get me off this cross, I promise I'll go to synagogue every week. Jesus, please let my sentence be commuted. I promise never, never, ever to sin again if you just get me off this cross. He never asked Jesus to get him off the cross. He never asked Jesus to, to do anything for him, to, to bargain with him. All he said is, he's humble, he's broken, he just says, remember me. I can't, I can't do anything. I, I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. All I can say, Jesus, is just remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's enough for this dying man just that Jesus would remember him. And see, that's a confession of repentance and faith. The thief is trusting in the king to save him. Remember me. Save me. My only hope is in you, Jesus. I know I deserve to be here. I know I'm a sinner. I know I stand before a holy God. All I can do is just put my trust in you to remember me. The thief did nothing to contribute to his salvation, did he? His good works didn't outweigh his bad works so that at the end of his life, God was obligated to save him. Let me ask you a question. Did the thief on the cross ever get baptized? 
Did he ever attend church that we know of? Did he ever take communion? Did he ever give an offering? Did he ever go on a mission trip? No, he was a thief. He was a criminal. It was all of grace, not works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The thief does not boast because he knows he can't boast, he can't earn his salvation. He has to simply say, Remember me, Lord Jesus. You're the king. I am guilty. I stand before a holy God. All, all I'm asking is that you remember me. I trust you. I deserve to be here. Would you just remember me? And here's the third truth about this thief. His soul went immediately to be with Jesus in heaven. What does Jesus tell him? Look at verse 43. He said to him, Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Today. When you die, thief, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You see, here's the interesting thing about this thief. He understood his sin. He knew that God was holy. He was broken. He was humble. He confessed his sin. He knew that Jesus was the king. He knew that Jesus was innocent. He trusted in Jesus all before what? The resurrection. This thief had not even seen the resurrection. He had not seen the temple veil torn in two. His vision was limited. And yet, even before the resurrection, he placed all of his trust in Jesus to save him. Now, how much more should we trust Jesus? and worship Jesus on this side of the resurrection because we have the full story. We've seen the empty tomb. We know that Christ rose from the dead. So what's your response to Jesus? There's a lot of responses in this passage of Scripture. Do you ridicule Him? you turn up your nose to Him? Do you mock Him? Most of you probably wouldn't say that. But let me ask you another question. Do you just kind of take Jesus when it's convenient for you? Do you see Jesus as a genie in a bottle to kind of give you what you want? Or you pray to him occasionally to get you out of trouble? Or are you like this thief on the cross where you understand, I'm a sinner before a holy God. I stand justly condemned of my sins, and my only hope is to trust in Jesus in brokenness, in humility, in repentance. I say to Jesus, would you remember me? Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Now, what we've just read in Luke, Jesus, if you have a red-letter edition of your Bible, Jesus gives two statements that are probably some of the most important statements that have come off the lips of any human being to ever live. Two statements that would change your life. Two statements that are going to give you hope. Probably the two most important things that you can hear this morning, and what are they? Well, look at verse 34. What does Jesus say as they're crucifying him? Jesus said, Father, forgive them they know not what they do you have to admit that that statement had some impact on this thief to see Jesus hanging there with all this abuse and the first words out of his mouth there's father forgive them forgive them why in the world would you ever forgive them Jesus you see Jesus does offer you forgiveness you can hear the same words from Jesus today. Father, I forgive him. I forgive her of their sins. Your sins can be totally wiped out. This was read earlier. 
Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness. Therefore, you're feared. If God kept a record of our sins, who could stand? None of us could stand. If God kept a record of your sins, none of us would stand before a holy God. But here's the beautiful thing of the gospel. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he takes that record of sins and he wipes it clean so that you and I could stand forgiven, accepted before this holy God. So, with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can hear the words today, Father, forgive him, forgive her. You can receive forgiveness of your sins no matter how many sins you've done no matter how bad you think you are no matter how far from God you think you are you can receive the forgiveness of sins today through Jesus Christ that's the first statement that Jesus made on the cross the second thing he said was to the thief today you will be with me in paradise today now here's a question do you know for sure that today if you were to die you would be in heaven with Jesus do you know that Because here's the issue. Every single person in this room will have eternal life. It's not a matter of if you will have eternal life. It's where. Where will you spend eternal life? Will you spend eternal life with Jesus forever in the new heavens and the new earth, a place of blessedness and glorious, wonderful relationship with Christ, or will you spend eternity in hell separated from a holy God? It's not where, if you'll spend eternity, it's where. John 17, 3 says this. This is eternal life. What's eternal life? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life, to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus. And then Hebrews 9, 27 says this. It's just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Have no second chance after you die. Once you die, that's it. And there is no middle ground. There's either heaven, there's hell. And so there's two things you need to hear today. Number one, you can receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And number two, today you can know where you're spending eternity, that you can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so Jesus stands ready today to receive all who would come to him like this thief. How did the thief come? Did he earn it? Did he deserve it? Did he do any work? No, he was broken, he was humble, he was contrite. He just looked in faith to Jesus and said, remember me. I deserve to be here. I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve condemnation. But Jesus, you're the king. Would you please forgive me? And what did Jesus say to the man? Today, today you'll be with me in paradise. I will forgive your sins. I will save you. You can have a home in heaven with me. You see, that's the greatest news any of us could hear, especially this Christmas. To hear that we can have our sins forgiven and have a home in heaven. So do you stand amazed at the sight of Jesus dying on the cross, taking away your sin? Are you amazed at the all-sufficient Savior who's alive in heaven and has the nail-scarred hands to prove it? You can go this morning from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. You can go this morning from being guilty in your sins to being forgiven of all your sins. You can go today from being in bondage to Satan to being a child of the living God. 
You can go today from an empty life of idolatry and selfishness and pleasure to having a relationship where Jesus is your greatest joy and he's your greatest treasure and he is your ultimate fulfillment. So would you stand in awe at Christ on the cross who offers you forgiveness of sins, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, and eternal life today you will be with me in paradise. Be amazed at the majesty, the beauty, the glory that alone belongs to Jesus Christ, our crucified Savior. So here's the question. How will you respond today to Jesus? Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning and think about that question. Think about forgiveness of sins. Think about heaven. How will you respond to Jesus today? Let me give you just a few moments of silent prayer to think about that. On the cross for our sins. And Lord Jesus, it's amazing that you are the king, you're the sovereign, but yet you hung there being mocked and ridiculed and and blasphemed and cursed at. But yet there's that one thief that saw his own personal sin, that owned up to his sin, that knew he could do nothing to save himself, knew he was guilty before a holy God, and all he did was he just trusted in you, Jesus, as the king to forgive him. And you gave him immediately the promise of eternal life. So, Lord, there may be some in this room today that have never, ever, for the very first time, trusted you, Jesus, to be their Lord and Savior. And today, they need forgiveness of sins, and they need to know the hope of eternal life. So, Lord, I pray that today you would do a work deep in hearts to give that assurance of forgiveness of sins, the assurance of eternal life. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's never trusted in you, would today, as we approach Christmas, what better time of year than to trust Jesus alone? And Lord, in their heart of hearts, would they cry out, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. And and would they hear the promise from you, Jesus, today your sins are forgiven. Today, if you were to die, you'll be in heaven with me. So thank you, Lord, for the power of your gospel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.